With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live, presented by The Grid. As always, I am Bryson Carver. It is great to be with you on this Friday afternoon. Like I've been saying on social media, when I say we have a jam-packed show, folks, we've got a jam-packed show for you guys tonight. We got baseball. We got NBA. Uh, we got, obviously, a lot of NFL. I mean, it is, after all, a, a Friday, which means weekend NFL predictions, including my upset of the week, if I were a betting man, which is my favorite segment of the week, and my new segment that I debuted this season in 2022, Bryson's Bleak Bets, the one game that I have absolutely no confidence in whatsoever in terms of my pick uh, as far as that goes. We all that game every week. I've got that. Also, World Series begins tonight, game one. Between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros, I'll predict how the series plays out, how I believe it'll play out, as well as how I think the first two games starting tonight play out over this weekend. Also, Russell Westbrook is finally coming off the bench for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'll touch on that because I think it is a, an interesting story to say the least and a long overdue story as far as I'm concerned. I'll discuss that. I'll also touch on a a very interesting story come out of the NBA about, this is according to Woj, a new law that the league is hoping to agree to with the Players Association that, to me, defeats the purpose of, of professional sports. And certainly, as the NBA puts it, in terms of uh, building a championship team, which I'll get to later on the show. But first, interesting game last night. Certainly one that we all had circled on our calendars before the season. You had the Baltimore Ravens. You had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Baltimore won the game 27-22. By the way, uh, th that last drive really pissed me off, to be completely honest with you, because Baltimore's up 20-16. to <clears throat> Tampa's got a fourth and goal from the eight, and Tom Brady connects with Julio Jones for a touchdown. If Tom Brady does not connect with Julio Jones for a touchdown, I get the score right for the second time on Thursday night football. So that, uh, that really kind of ticked me off. I'm not going to lie. But as far as the game itself, I think this was fairly predictable. You had a Ravens team coming in off a short week, off a, a less than impressive win over the Cleveland Browns, to say the very least. Obviously, Baltimore has the better roster, the better coach, as, as much as like Stefanski, without a question, the better quarterback. But Baltimore this season has been the story of their year so far. They've been bad in the fourth quarter. And they start off last night very rocky offensively, trying to get something going. They, you know, they got a field goal early on, but that was about all they had in store. Okay, Lamar Jackson seemed a little off. The running game wasn't able to get going the way we thought it would. And Tampa Bay, right out the gates, 
opening drive touchdown. They get a field goal later in the first half, and they seem to be humming a little bit. But the second half rolls around. Baltimore gets their act together. Tampa Bay completely folds, and the Ravens end up winning the game by five. But And I did pick the Ravens to win this game, but when I was, when I was looking at it, again, I don't know why Tampa continuously is a favorite in every, all these games. They're double-digit favorites in Pittsburgh. They lose. They're even bigger favorites in Carolina. They lose badly. Why on earth are they favored by two over a superior Baltimore Ravens team with the superior coach, John Harbaugh, and without a question, the superior quarterback, Lamar Jackson? The Ravens' second half, and this points to coaching. This points to the execution from their quarterback, who why people continuously doubt Lamar Jackson is, is, is beyond me. The guy is absolutely unequivocally a top 10 quarterback in the NFL as he held up that fan poster after the game. Give that man his money. He's going to get paid this offseason without a question. He's going to pull an Aaron Judge. Not break any records probably, but he's going to get the bag. Baltimore's second half drives. Touchdown, 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 field goal, kneel down. That's, that's phenomenal execution. By the way, you know, we, we could scoff at, the, say, the field goal, for example, but on that drive, right, they're up eight. Okay, they're just trying to kill clock. They get that big, long run for, I think, I think it was Kenyon Drake who got him down there, and Justin Tucker, the greatest kicker of all time, as far as I'm concerned, hits the field goal, and Baltimore uh, goes up by 11 points, and that was too insurmountable for Tampa Bay. But I, I, I've talked enough about Baltimore, right? Like, they, we know what they are. We know what Lamar Jackson clearly is. I mean, last night, QBR of 62 on 0 to 100, had a pass ring of 105, 238, two touchdowns. Uh, he also ran for 43, averaging five yards a carry. Uh, Lamar Jackson is spectacular. We already knew that. But as far as Tampa Bay, this is a team that a lot of people expected, like they did the last two years, to compete for a Super Bowl, which can't say it's 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 a it was a crazy thought coming in right won the Super Bowl in 2020 had a great run last year that got halted by the eventual champions the Los Angeles Rams a season ago but this year and I'll, I'll sort of touch on for two minutes or less because I, I you know it's 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 a it, it's not a fun topic to discuss the whole Tom Brady marriage situation but part of the reason that that I wasn't high in Tampa is because of the weird sort of off-field dynamic with Tom Brady taking Wednesdays off again a couple weeks ago. We know that he attended his old boss, Robert Kraft's wedding. Uh, you have the situation where he uh, takes 11 days off in training camp, and he doesn't seem to have that same fire and vigor that we're used to seeing in the GOAT. Now, we see sort of why. Uh, anybody who's been through a divorce knows what, what that takes out of a human being. But Tampa Bay's defense is not what we thought it would be after the way they started the first two, three games. Okay, Tampa's running game is the worst in the league, easily, without a question, in terms of, of yards per carry, in terms of uh, attempts. It's, it's been horrible. The offensive line we knew was beat up coming into the season. It is not impressed whatsoever. And the bottom line is this. As great as Tom Brady is, greatest quarterback of all time, greatest player in NFL history, we are now seeing the decline. I'm not saying he's washed. I'm not saying he's done. Russell Wilson's washed. We've seen through five games or six games, however long it's been, Russell Wilson has flat out sucked through, through his first six games in Denver. He wasn't all that great last year in Seattle. He wasn't great at the end of his 2020 campaign in Seattle. So we're starting to seeing this downward trend for Russell to the point where now he is washed. Tom's a different story. Folks, last year I thought he should have been the MVP. He finished second to Aaron Rodgers. Okay, threw for over 40 touchdowns, led the league in passing yards. He was tremendous. He was outstanding. Through eight games last season, Tom Brady had 25 touchdown passes. That's pretty good, right? This year, nine. 
So not even half of what he had a year ago through the first half of the season. Completion percentage, good, but he's not pushing the ball down the field when he has the likes of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Scotty Miller has proved to be a solid uh, deep ball threat. Okay, we, we can blame it on a lot of different things. We can blame it on, on Bruce Arians being in the booth now uh, or being with the front office now as opposed to being the head coach. We can blame it on the running game. We can blame it on the O-line. This and this and this. Julio Jones not staying healthy. A-B being gone. Gronk being gone. We can blame it on a lot of different things. But at some point, when you are a guy who many, heck, I would argue everybody coming into the season, bare minimum, considered you a top five quarterback, when the NFL players said this summer, you are not only the best quarterback, you are the best player in the NFL. At some point, there's got to be a little bit of blame that falls at your feet. Now, I don't want to be brutal on Tom today because, you know, we know what's, what's, what's going on in his personal life. But not moving great in the pocket. The arm strength is still there. I've, I've never criticized that with Brady. Even his days in New England when people said he didn't have a great arm. I'm like, I don't know what y'all are watching. They just don't push the ball down the field that much in New England. Okay, the arm is still there. But the accuracy on deep balls hasn't been great. Uh, the execution in the red zone has been simply atrocious. I mean, you saw late in that game when they're down, uh, whatever it was, they were down 11, I think, at that point in the game. Right? They got a fourth and goal from the three. They're going to try and go for it, and they get a false start. And Tom's pissed off, and you've got all this commotion. Penalties killed Tampa last night. Blames on everybody. But when you are a guy we consider the greatest quarterback of all time, when you are a guy who the player said was the best player in the league coming in, at some point the blame's going to fall at your feet at least a little bit. Now, if you're Tampa Bay, if you want to look at, I guess, uh, any silver lining, your schedule isn't awful moving forward. Okay, now you got the Rams next week. The Rams haven't been what we thought they'd be. You got Seattle in, in Munich on a Sunday morning game. At Cleveland, they've disappointed, especially in close games in the fourth quarter. The Saints at home, at the Niners, that's a tough one. Cincinnati has, has really found their rhythm, although Jamar Chase is out for a while. You got at Arizona with that dicey secondary. You got Carolina again, that's a, re a revenge game after how they played. And they got at Atlanta, and for, for what it's worth, Tom Brady has never lost to the Falcons in his career. But if you're sitting there in your Tampa, I mean, again, once again, we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers turn into the Rockets. Okay, is 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 three and outs. It, it, it's it's run. It, it, it's one two three kick. Turn to the Rockets. One two three kick. I think it was four times last night. They had a three and out. Once they had a four and out. Bad execution. Penalties. Inaccurate throws by Tom Brady. Red zone was horrible. Defense did a bad job stopping the run against Lamar Jackson, the Ravens. I mean, you give up three in the first half, then you give up 24 in the second half. That's adjustments, but it all, it's also the defense not playing as well as we know they're, they're capable of playing with that kind of talent. This, this is what we've kind of grown to expect for the Buccaneers. Now, this is actually the first time in Tom Brady's career that he's two games under 500, which, you know, took 23 years to get to that point, but here we are. But for Tampa, it's, it's I've always said this about, teams that we consider, hey, are they a championship contender or not? And I've always said, if I've got more questions than answers, if I've got to say if more often than I'm confident, I can't consider you a championship team. I get that's Tom Brady. You know, everybody against Tom Brady. It's, it's the general rule in sports. But it's also general rule in sports. Father Time's undefeated. He's had himself a battle with Tom Brady. And another one with LeBron James, as we, as we see in the Nike commercials with Jason Momoa portraying father time, but he's going to win eventually. He gets all of us eventually. And Tom Brady's no different. 
Tom Brady is not washed, but he is in the decline. You know, Max Kellerman famously said six years ago about he's going to fall off the cliff. He's going to be a bum in short order and how that's probably one of the worst aged takes in history. Right up there with my Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl take. Well, he's not falling off a cliff, but he is in decline. That's, I, I don't know, through eight games, I don't know how you could possibly see any different. But as for the Ravens, you look at Baltimore's schedule moving forward. Uh, they, they've got an opportunity to really get hot here. They got at the Saints, Panthers, Jaguars, Broncos, Steelers. Okay, and, and through the rest of the season, yeah, through the rest of the season, they face one team that's over 500 today. That's the Bengals, the last game of the season. Good chance that game decides the division. And possibly, you know, really, really good playoff scene. Could be the two or three seed. So if you're Baltimore, man, you have got to feel great about yourselves. All the fourth quarter losses, all this and all that. We've got a quarterback who's very much still in the MVP discussion. We've got a coach who's won a Super Bowl, a defense that has really found its way as of late. And our schedule is, is cupcakes from here. But if you're Baltimore, you should feel great about yourself today. If you're Lamar Jackson, you should be feeling even better about yourself today. John Rivera, my man, Fan Perspective Podcast. John Rivera says, let's go Jets. They got a big one this weekend against the New England Patriots. That is a very, very interesting game uh, that I'll predict later in the show. Uh, Jets, of course, coming in at 5-2, and two, but they have lost two very key pieces. Elijah Vera Tucker's out. Brees Hall, huge loss. He's out for the year. Uh, I believe it's an ACL tear. So, uh, But the Jets have been playing, playing good football. The defense has been great. Robert Sala, I think, is still at least in the running. Dable's obviously the favorite for coach of the year, but... Are we sure Salah isn't second or third? Pete Carroll's in the running. Like that coach of the year uh, race is going to be really interesting coming down coming down the stretch of the season because who, who'd have thought that the Giants would be sitting here at six and one, the Jets sitting here at five and two? Okay, if you did, if you went to Vegas, you said this was going to happen, man. You can see in the future, and the rest of us can't because that's that's pretty remarkable on your part. Outside of that, nobody saw this coming, but it's going to be great uh, to see moving forward. Now. Again, we got all kinds of things to talk about today. Okay, we got NFL, got the game last night I just touched on. I will say this, though. I, I do want to, to touch on it for at least a couple minutes, or I should say at most a couple minutes because I don't want to spend too much time on it. Obviously, we're all aware of the fact that uh, Tom Brady and Giselle uh, have officially finalized their divorce. They both announced on their social media platforms. Uh, this explains, and I've been pointing to this, swear to y'all, I've, I've been pointing this out since mid-June. I remember talking about it during the NBA Finals that something seemed up about Tom. Didn't seem as as sort of um, fired up, if you will, as usual. Didn't have that same sort of energy that we're used to from Tom. Uh, he certainly said, we, we saw some of the close-ups of his face, of his, his frame. He seemed kind of gaunt. Um, just seemed out of it. You had the situation with training camp. I said, something's up with Tom. Now, this explains a lot of it. Um, end of the day, man, I, I feel bad for Tom. I feel bad for Giselle. I feel terrible for the kids because at the end of the day, the, the, the biggest losers in divorces are, are the kids because now, you know, obviously they, they both agreed to joint custody, so they're going to go back and forth between, uh, between their mom and their dad. So it's, it, it's, it, it's a sad situation, um, you know, a 13-year marriage coming to an end. Uh, we obviously wish the best for Tom, Giselle moving forward. And, you know, a lot of people out there are going to say, well, they're rich, you know, they're, they're worth – Millions of dollars, they're, they're successful in their fields. They're very talented in their fields. Man, a divorce is a divorce. Now, you know, there's there's different circumstances that cause all of them, of course. But at the end of the day, this is it's never easy for anybody. And, and we certainly wish Tom and Giselle the very, very best moving forward because 
you know, this is this is not easy. But I would like to transition to the NBA for a second. Like I said, we got NBA, a couple NBA topics today. We got World Series, which begins tonight. Just had the NFL topic, and then I'm going to do NFL Week 8 predictions. Going to leave out the Monday night game between Cincinnati and, and Cleveland. The Halloween game, by the way, uh, which is interesting. It's going to be exciting for the NFL to have uh, this season Monday night football. Uh, but let's see. We've got a comment here. Uh, yeah, John, John. Looks like I can't really tell there. I think those are the prayer hands. Uh, let's see. Zoom in there. Yeah, the prayer hands, obviously, wishing the best for, for Tom and for Giselle and, and certainly for the kids, the whole family, everybody involved, everybody involved. But, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, an NBA topic that I think is worth uh, it's worth discussing. So, a report came out a couple of hours ago from Adrian Wojnarowski, top NBA insider at ESPN. And the tweet says, quote, story filed to ESPN. The N NBA is pursuing the implementation of an upper salary limit in its negotiations on a new collective bargaining agreement with the National Basketball Players Association, a systematic change that has been met with significant union resistance. In the wake of large market contenders, Golden State, Brooklyn, and the Los Angeles Clippers running up massive payrolls and luxury tax penalties, the NBA is proposing a system that would replace the luxury tax with a hard limit that teams could not exceed to pay salaries, sources said. The league's proposal has been met with a firmer resistance of the NBA Players Association to the point of the union considering it a non-starter in uh, discussions, sources said. First of all, thank you to the Players Association for this. Because, and I've been a huge supporter of Adam Silver. I think he is, without a doubt, the best commissioner in sports. Um, but I don't know what it is. He's he's in a little bit of a rough, rough stretch right now, right? We, we know that he initially did not remove uh, or at least force Robert Sarver to, uh, or he didn't force Robert Sarver to sell the team. He suspended him for a year. Robert Sarver, the future, uh, future uh, past owner of the Phoenix Suns, will eventually sell the team due to uh, pretty crappy workplace conduct. But... Now this is Adam Silver essentially going against everything that professional sports is supposed to be about. One of the things that makes professional sports, certainly the NFL, because we see the, the NFL ratings are just through the roof, even compared to other popular sports like college football, like the NBA, like March Madness, is that we know that there is a process, or at least a, there's, there's, there's numerous ways to do it, but there's the well-known process about how to build a championship team. Okay, want to get the GM, want to get the coach, you cross your fingers, your owner uh, is, is good because you can't hire and fire owners. You can do that for general managers, coaches, and of course you can sign and cut players. But assume you got a good owner, get the GM right, get the coach right, and then it's about bringing in talent and developing them. If you want to bring in veterans, uh, if, if you have some, some bad seasons, no worries. You get a top pick, get one of the best players of the draft, now you got to develop them. Now that's up to you. We, we've seen numerous instances where talented players have gone to bad franchises and not panned out in part because the franchise is completely incompetent. That's happened numerous times. But this, this goes against everything the NBA is supposed to be about. So they're punishing teams that have uh, you know exceeded the luxury tax numerous times, such as the Clippers or the Nets or the Warriors. This hits me. You can call me biased if you want. I, that that's, doesn't bother me. But this hits me different as a Warriors fan. Here's why. I'm one who believes there is no one way to build an NBA championship contender. There are numerous ways to do it. Trades, free agency, draft, all different ways. But when you're sitting there as the Golden State Warriors, 
and five of your six best players you drafted. Andrew Wiggins is the only like key star on the Warriors who was not drafted by the Warriors. By the way, nobody wanted Andrew Wiggins. After that big contract in Minnesota, after the fact that he certainly did not pan out to be that number one pick that they thought he was in 2014, nobody wanted him. Who did? Golden State. He's now considered one of the best two-way players, if not the best two-way player in the NBA. Steph Curry drafted. Klay Thompson drafted. Draymond Green drafted. Jordan Poole drafted. Kevon Looney drafted. Hmm. What am I? What am I missing? And so, the point is of, of, of you know building a team through the draft. You draft them, you develop them. If they pan out to what you think that they were capable of being, you keep them in the house. You resign them. You resign Steph and Clay and Draymond and all the guys I mentioned, Poole, Looney. And sometimes, in, in, in the case of the Warriors, you have exceeded the luxury tax. Why on earth? Would the NBA put a hard cap, essentially, is what they're doing, kind of like the NFL, putting a hard cap saying that there's only so far you can go before you just flat out are not allowed to spend money anymore. On guys you drafted, this is not Brooklyn, where they signed Kevin Durant in free agency. Everybody knew how good Kevin Durant was. Come on. You watch the guy for two minutes, you're like, then this dude looks different from everybody else. Everybody knew how good Kyrie Irving was. Same, same instance. Great, greatest handle of all time, in my opinion. Los Angeles Clippers, Kawhi Leonard was just coming off an NBA championship with the Toronto Raptors. Paul George, MVP candidate that season. We know how good they were. Lakers, I mean, everybody, you, have, you don't have to have watched a basketball game in your life and you know, about, you know who LeBron James is, okay? He's a world icon. So everybody knew how good LeBron James was. Everybody knew how good Anthony Davis was. Traded for him. Okay, Russell Westbrook, you know. Not, not, I'm going to talk about Westbrook in the show. Not exactly a hot commodity these days uh, in, in terms of the trade market, but certainly was, was a guy that other teams were, were considering trading for. So everybody knew about Westbrook. Lakers brought him in. Lakers are completely incapable of developing talent. The Nets are completely incapable of developing talent. Yet we as the NBA are going to punish Golden State the same as we do Brooklyn, if they exceed the salary cap. I have always been the belief, I talked about this during, or I think it was before during the finals the, this past June, that if you build a team through the draft. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It should not count as much against your salary cap if you keep a player in-house as opposed to if somebody else signs them. Because let's say... Let's say Giannis became a free agent and the Miami Heat signed him. Okay, it should count against Miami's cap, not punishing them, but there is a price to pay to bring a new player and certainly a superstar player, which Giannis is, in-house. It should count more against Miami's cap than Milwaukee, who saw Giannis coming before anybody did, who developed him, who helped him become arguably the best player in the NBA. It defeats the purpose of the draft. Because you're sitting there, 
if you're a bad team, say you're sitting there like the Cleveland Cavaliers were a couple years ago, or the Memphis Grizzlies were a couple years ago, or the New Orleans, Pel New Orleans Pelicans were a few years ago. Sitting there saying, man, we suck, but we got draft picks. And to the credit of all three of those franchises, they have drafted tremendously. Memphis, John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., okay, Cleveland, uh, Darius Garland, and, and Evan Mobley. Uh, you, you got teams like uh, the, the New Orleans Pelicans. They drafted Zion. They drafted all these different guys. But because if this were to get passed, which it looks like due to the resistance of the Players Association, thank God, it looks like it probably won't. But we are now going to punish you for developing the talent and keeping it around. Every, it makes no sense, too, because so many fans, and I disagree with the sentiment wholeheartedly, but so many fans talk about all oh, these players just bounce team to team to team. Well, this is kind of defeats the purpose of that, too. What am I missing? Also, as my man Mike Guido pointed out on Twitter, kind of makes the draft lottery irrelevant. Because and the draft lottery is a little funky when you compare it to the likes of, of say, Major League Baseball or certainly the, the NFL, where NFL is simple. You got the worst record in the league, you get the first pick of the draft. NBA, you get a better chance of getting the number one pick, but the, the, the chances of you getting it are 14%. So not even a quarter. Not even a quarter percent chance of getting the number one pick if you suck. So it makes it harder to build. But then again, if you do build a championship team through the draft, now... Got, got to let some of them go. Why? We found them. Golden State found Jordan Poole at the end of the first round. Golden State saw Steph Curry as a seven pick despite two guards already being taken. So, yeah, we want that skinny kid from Davidson. Nobody talked about Klay Thompson coming to that draft. Golden State's like, we want him. Jerry West was in the organization at the time. He's like, I like this Klay Thompson kid. And Jerry West knows a thing or two about two guards, obviously. They found Draymond Green in the second round. Nobody knew who Draymond Green was. Okay. Kavon Looney, end of the first round. Jordan Poole, end of the first round. It's not like number one pick, number three pick, number two pick. This isn't like, for example, not to diminish what they did whatsoever, but this isn't like OKC, right? Where KD was the second pick. Harden was the third pick. Westbrook was a top five pick, if I'm not mistaken. They, everybody saw those guys coming. Outside of maybe Steph, who people weren't high on. People said Steph, he, he, he only be like a, a journeyman point guard, if he is a point guard at all. In the NBA, Golden State found these guys. Memphis found some of these diamond in the roughs. So did Cleveland. I, I don't get it. This, this makes absolutely no sense from the NBA whatsoever. And again, it's a good thing that the Players Association is stepping in. And John John agrees with me. He says, agree, Larry Bird writes. That, I mean, that, that, that's it. That's, that, it, it makes, because we, we talked about some of those great teams, the Lakers and Celtics of the 80s or the Bulls of the 90s. They bring in a piece. The Bulls would trade for Dennis Rodman. The, uh, you, you know, those uh, Lakers teams, obviously, we all know about the, one of the most iconic trades ever to trade for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay, you have these San Antonio teams adding guys like, like Steven Jackson. Like, you got, like, Golden State added Andrew Wiggins through a trade, which, again, I must mention, not like anybody was, like, getting in line to trade for Andrew Wiggins. Golden State did. They saw something that nobody else did. And they helped develop him further. Now, again, I'm not going to bend the rules because Andrew Wiggins was not drafted by the Warriors. But if you were drafted by an NBA team, it should not count against your cap as much 
as if you bring in a player that everybody already knew was good. Makes so it defeats the purpose of the draft. It defeats the purpose of of team building. I, I don't I don't get I don't know what what Adam Sandler is 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 hoping to accomplish. Uh, what Adam Silver is hoping to accomplish through this. Uh, who, who who knows? But it, it it makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. A little bit just talking about a report from Woj. A little bit of breaking news. Uh, this actually kind of uh, was playing. We're gonna play. So I guess I'll just dive right into it. I was going to talk about Russell Westbrook coming off the bench. It now appears that will not be the case. Because according to Dave McMiniman, who covers the Lakers, Anthony Davis is out tonight per the Lakers, lower back tightness. And then Woj says uh, Davis's absence likely means Russell Westbrook remains in the starting lineup tonight. Now, we'd heard some rumblings that if AD plays, Russell's coming off the bench. If he doesn't, Russell's probably going to start. Um, first of all, this is Anthony Davis, as I call him, AD stands for, it doesn't stand for Anthony Davis, it stands for always down because Anthony Davis is truly made of glass. I've never seen anything like it in my life. But sort of touching on the Westbrook come off the bench thing because I think it is bound to happen at some point. At some point. It's bound to happen with, with the Los Angeles Lakers and Russell Westbrook uh, for numerous reasons. First of all, Russell Westbrook, as well as the entire Lakers team, so Russ doesn't deserve all the blame in this regard, but the Lakers are a bad shooting team. Russell Westbrook has a horrendous plus-minus. They turn the ball over too much. Russ does. LeBron did the other night. He had eight turnovers against the Denver Nuggets. Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. Okay, Darvin Ham is an inexperienced head coach. I don't know if Darvin Ham's a good coach. Is he's How many games in? He's four games in? Who knows? But the, the thing with Westbrook, too, if you told me, hey, I got a point guard. He's barely, barely averaging double figures. He's shooting sub-30% from the field. He's not even shooting 10% from three-point range, despite being the least, you check the stats, the stats back it up, the least guarded player in the NBA. Russell's not the only issue with the Lakers because they got a mold. They got big, honestly, they got bigger problems than Westbrook also known as Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka, which I've been telling y'all about. It seems like the national media and even Lakers Nation has kind of caught on to what I've been saying for about a year, that Jeannie Buss is employing the wrong people, that she is employing it's all former Lakers or it's all people who knew her dad, and then Rob Palenka was simply never qualified to be a general manager in the NBA from the beginning. He just got the job because he was Kobe Bryant's agent. It's as simple as that. It, it is, it's a little bit Dallas Cowboys-ish, where – all they hire are former Cowboys or friends of Jerry or stuff like that. That's it. They don't hire anybody from outside of the building to come play a major role in the front office. That's the issue with the Lakers. Russell is an issue. He certainly doesn't make things better, but we saw the Lakers against the Nuggets. It's, it didn't look a whole lot better. LeBron seemed disengaged. He, he had eight turnovers. Anthony Davis got his butt whipped. To put it mildly, by Jokic, the bench is bad. Kendrick Nunn is, is, is abysmal. I know a lot of Lakers fans were excited about him. I'm not quite sure why. A lot of Lakers fans were also excited about Lonnie Walker. Not sure why about that either. I mean, he was he was barely hanging on for dear life to a starting spot in San Antonio. You're telling me he was going to work in Los Angeles? So in terms of the fit, Westbrook was never going to work. But the fact the fact of the matter is, he will likely come off the bench at some point this season. And at that point, I'm going to be very, very curious to see how that plays with him. Because he he came off the bench for a preseason game. 
and was making a scene about it. Bruh, it's a preseason game. No, nobody watches these. Okay, and this this goes to what I've always said about Russell Westbrook. He retires today. He is going to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame as a first bout Hall of Famer, no questions asked. Absolutely. He, he will be regarded as an all-time great player. Because there was a time in Russell Westbrook's career, he was a top five player in the league. Absolutely. But his deficiencies, we knew about he was never a good shooter. Now, he's gotten worse, but he was never a naturally gifted three-point shooter. Okay, he was never a great decision maker or a ball handler. But <clears throat> it's what I've always said about Westbrook. I've always, oh, I, going back to his days when he broke the triple-double record in Washington a year and a half ago, you can check the tape. I said verbatim, Russell Westbrook is not a winning basketball player. IQ's horrible. He drives away star teammates. I mean, notice the fact that the only players who talk, oh man, Russ is the best, only players who talk about that are guys who currently play with him. You never hear former teammates of Westbrook like, man, I enjoyed my years in OKC or in Washington or in Houston. Nobody says that. We can think about all the teammates that he's had. I mean, for the love of, he had Kevin Durant. <laughs> it couldn't make that work into a championship. Okay. He had Paul George, who had an MVP caliber year. They won one game in the first round. He had James Harden, who that season averaged like 35 points a game. They got smoked in the second round by the Lakers. Again, not all this. He had Bradley Beal the year after. Not all this is on Westbrook. But eventually, there's got to be a common denominator at some point. And so now when you compound the fact that he already had a bad basketball IQ, he already turned the ball over. But now you take away some of his athleticism, now it's a disaster. Now you're asking for trouble. Now... Everybody talks about me. You got to trade into the Pacers for Buddy Heald. If I'm the Pacers, why would I do that? I'm going to trade Buddy Heald at some point. I'm probably going to trade Miles Turner at some point. Why would I do business with you? I mean, am I, am I just going to be generous? Like, you know what, man? I'll tell you what, Lakers kind of have a rough go at it. Uh, you know, they, they, they need to trade Westbrook. It's Let's help them out a little bit. No! <laughs> Pacers aren't going to do that. Pacers overwhelmingly, in their history, have been a pretty well-run franchise. You think they're going to do business, business with L.A.? The fact that L.A. has no assets. They have Russ and two first-round picks. That, by the way, are from 2027 20, and 2029, if I'm not mistaken. Why, why would it? Of course, the, the Lakers would do the deal in a heartbeat. Why would Indiana make that deal? This is a poorly run, run franchise who does not know how to build a team around LeBron. I mean, LeBron even put... If I could pull it up here, uh, LeBron even put that sort of cryptic uh, message on social media. Hold on. Let, let's see if I can find it here. There's, where's King James? There he is. Okay. And uh, is there – oh, okay. I don't know if it's there anymore. He must have – yeah, here it is. It's, 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 a, it's a reel of him. It's like a five-second reel of him in a fast break on a pass from Austin Reeves going up for a, a tomahawk dunk. And the caption says, how long will you be taken for granted? And he's got the king. Uh, he's got the the crown emoji, and he says, "Keep going, kid." They have the Los Angeles Lakers butchered the LeBron James experience badly. What did Cleveland do? Because Cleveland butchered the LeBron James experience his first seven years of his career. That's why he left to go to Miami. What did Miami do? We know we know about Wade and Bosh. They surrounded with shooters. He had Mike Miller. He had guys like um, Shane Battier. 
He had one of the greatest three-point shooters ever, Ray Allen. Okay? In Cleveland, Kevin Love could shoot. Kyrie Irving could shoot. J.R. Smith could shoot. Okay? You had guys like uh, Channing Fry could shoot. You know, they even had stretch five, stretch fours. Even at the end, even when Cleveland was a disaster, George Hill could knock down an open three. Okay? Uh, Jordan Clarkson could hit a three. In L.A., name... I'll take, okay, Contavious Caldwell Pope aside, Malik Monk aside, name the really good three-point shooter the Lakers have put around LeBron James in the now. This is his fifth season in Los Angeles. Name it. They haven't done it. It's what, it, it, it is, it is the most, I mean, heck, he had Kyle Korver, by the way, in Cleveland. They got him Kyle Korver. It, it, it's one of the most well-known facts. Everybody knows about LeBron James. He is at his best when he's got shooters around him. It spaces the floor, gives him a clear driving lane, and if the help defense comes, he kicks kicks it to an open shooter to hopefully knock down a three. It makes the pick and roll action if you or even if you want to run a pick and pop, makes that more effective. It's 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 so simple, and the Lakers have butchered it. It's listen, I do not like the Lakers because I'm a Warriors fan. I that I do not consider that I don't really consider them a rival because in recent years. We've got four championships. I got one. But in, in terms of, I, I don't like the Lakers because they're in the division and we play them four times a year. But the NBA is better when the Lakers are good and absolutely the NBA is better when LeBron James is in a position to compete for a championship. And in his time as a Laker, that's been the case for one year out of the five. You're telling me you had LeBron James for now five years and only one of those you are in a the legit conversation to win the NBA title. That's embarrassing. That that is that's like a team signing Tom Brady. That'd be like the Bucks signing Tom Brady. And one out of the three to five to whatever years they were in the running to win a Super Bowl. That's embarrassing, even for the Lakers who are a train wreck. It's it, it, it's it's unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable. John John says, uh, need Melo back. Yeah, I mean, listen, Melo was a good, good fit for him, and I, I still think somebody's going to pick up Melo at some point. Now, with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He is, I mean, Melo was never good defensively, but at, at this stage of his career, you're not going to ask him to, to go lock up your best player, obviously. You, you didn't ask him to do that in his prime in Denver or in, uh, in New York with the Knicks. But again, it's a spot-up shooter. It's a guy, by the way, Lakers don't have a whole lot of these guys either. Guys who can create their own shot. Mello, and even at his advanced age and stage of his career, can still do that. Lakers let him go. Lakers let Malik Monk go. Why? Let Alex Caruso go. Why? Then let Contavious Caldwell Pope go in the in the Westbrook trade. It's just, man, they, they have they have butchered this to epic proportion. It's incredible. And John just says people quickly forget how uh, people quickly forget he won a title in LA already. LOL. Yeah, I mean, listen, 
but it, it, it's the one year where AD stayed healthy. You And I don't, listen, a lot of people put an asterisk next to that title. I don't put asterisks next to titles except for the Houston Astros 2017 World Series title because they cheated. That That's it. Uh, to me, you won the championship. Everybody who wins a championship gets breaks. You know, s- somebody on the other team gets hurt or maybe the ball just bounced your way and a, a call went your way. Like it, everybody, every single champion has gotten lucky in some way, shape, or form. I mean, what are you going to do? Put asterisks next to all the champions? You can't do that. Um, but for the Lakers, right, you got the break in, in, regarding with COVID. You got four months off to for these guys to get healthy, to heal their bodies, to the credit of LeBron and to the Lakers uh, roster as a whole. They were mentally tougher than everybody else in the bubble. You know, having to play in an empty gym in in, in Orlando, Florida, that's that's tough. No home court. So... I mean, that's LeBron. Does I mean, I was talking to my man Grady Edwards. Uh, shout out to Grady the other day, and he made a good point. He said, "This it won't be looked at as the crowning achievement of LeBron's career, but LeBron winning a championship in LA might be his most impressive. It might be more impressive than him coming back from three one against the seventy three and nine Warriors team. It might, because at least he had Kyrie Irving, at least he had Kevin Love, at least he had Ty Lue as his head coach." He had David Griffin as a general manager to help put some of those pieces around him. In this case, he had Rob Palenka. He had Anthony Davis, a healthy Anthony Davis, a motivated Anthony Davis. Now, I don't know who this guy is, who this imposter is. He had guys who, the Lakers, if you look at their three-point shooting numbers in that bubble, they weren't good. They were better than they are now. They're, they're like historically bad shooting this year. But... Yeah, I, I felt like this was a team that could be the nine seed, and I thought that they would sneak into the playoffs as the eight seed and lose to my Warriors in the first round. Um, this would be a very successful season if they got to the play-in tournament and won a play-in game. That this would be considering. And listen, it's it's four games in. There's 78 games to go. Long, long NBA season. But uh, I, I think it's safe to assume that Russell Westbrook will not be a Laker by season's end, either. They trade him, which who would trade for Westbrook? I have no idea. Or two, they'll send him home. Now, I don't think that's the 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 right thing to do. My thing is just go and buy him out. Just go, just go and buy him out. Let the Westbrook cloud and deal with your other multitude of issues. This this organization has a long, long, long. Did I mention long way to go? To even even come within the conversation of competing for a championship. But yeah, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that due to the fact that Anthony Davis is out, shocker, shocker, uh, it appears that Russell Westbrook will be in the starting lineup tonight for the Los Angeles Lakers uh, tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. That game tips off in about an hour and a half. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out if the Lakers can get their first win. By the way, this is if LeBron, if, if the Lakers lose tonight, it'll be the first time in LeBron's 20-year career that he has started 0-5. Uh, it, it's the first time the other night, it's the first time he started 0-4 since his rookie year back in Cleveland in 2003, which obviously nobody's expecting that team to do anything uh, with, with an 18-year-old phenom. But, yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's a disaster without a question. Now, shifting to baseball for a moment, we got a World Series that begins tonight. You got the Philadelphia Phillies out of the National League. Really a, a, a Cinderella store, if you will, because you have this this um, changed playoff format, an extra team, 
And Philadelphia was the last team to get in the playoffs. Kind of limped in the playoffs. Didn't play very good baseball down the stretch. Like you see often teams that get to the World Series or win the World Series, they maybe, maybe they weren't like the favorites coming in, but they got real hot at the end of the season. They got hot in August and September. They made that big move at the trade deadline. That, that wasn't really Philly. I mean, they fired their manager, Joe Girardi, and I think it was June. Okay, they weren't playing good baseball up until that point. Kind of got the ship righted, then played bad baseball down the stretch of September. Last team in the, in the playoffs had to hold off the Milwaukee Brewers just to get in. And here they sit, four wins away from a title against the Houston Astros, who won 106, 106 games this year, were the, I said all season, the overwhelming favorite to come out of the American League, and they showed just that. They have yet to lose a game in the playoffs. They swept what I thought was a very, very talented, very well-managed Seattle Mariners team, and then they swept uh, a, a team that is completely reliant on the home run ball, the New York Yankees, straight out of the playoffs, uh, and, and probably for the last time that I will be able to uh, to play the soundbite because it is truly, uh, truly one of my favorites. The Yankees lose. <laughs> I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss that till next season. We'll get him. Let's go Red Sox. We'll, we'll get him next year. But let's just go and right, get right into it. Predictions for the 2022 World Series. The Philadelphia Phillies, the Houston Astros. So Houston is favored in this World Series. I believe this is, uh, this is their fourth World Series appearance, by the way, in the last six years. It is in three of those appearances, they have been the favorites. Ironically, in all three of those series, this is a little known fact, they have all played a National League East opponent. They lost to the Washington Nationals in 2019. They lost to the Atlanta Braves last year. And now they're facing the Philadelphia Phillies, all teams from the NL East. But in tonight's matchup, you're going to have Justin Verlander, who is incredibly, you know, it's certainly going to have his name etched into Cooperstown when his career is over. But Justin Verlander is 0-6 in the World Series, has an 0-6 record as a starting pitcher in the World Series. And then he's facing up against Aaron Nola, uh, who himself, an ace, has been outstanding in the postseason uh, for, for the Philadelphia Phillies. By the way, in the playoffs for the first time in 11 years, and they get to the World Series looking for their first title since 2008. Expect tonight's game one to be very low scoring. Uh, listen, both teams are highly capable of power. Bryce Harper had one of the biggest hits in recent postseason memory in that game five against the San Diego Padres that essentially sent the Phillies to this point. You have obviously with the Houston Astros, you have so many guys that could hit for power, starting with uh, Jordan Alvarez, who was just outstanding in that Seattle series, played well in, in the in the Yankees series. Jose Altuve has yet to really get his back going, but he's been aided by the guys uh, of the likes of Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman. They've been tremendous around him. Christian Vasquez, my man, love Christian Vasquez, traded from the Red Sox, rooting for him without a question. Uh, has been really good pinch hitting uh, for, the, for the Houston Astros. It's a deep lineup, one through nine. The rotation is excellent. They got Framer Valdez in game two, whereas uh, the, the Phillies got Zach Wheeler in game two. I think this this will be a split for the first two games. I think the pitching is too good for both sides to say that there is a clear advantage, a clear favorite. Um, both bullpens have been excellent. Houston's has been a little better than, than the likes of Philadelphia's. I know a lot of people like Houston to wrap this series up quickly just because of the fact that they're undefeated in the postseason. You got Philadelphia, who you know, they themselves have only lost, what, two games in the playoffs? Right? Beating, sending sending Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina into retirement in round one. In round two, they send the defending champion Braves home. 
and then against a, a another sort of Cinderella storybook uh, team in the San Diego Padres, they gentlemen sweep them. So Philadelphia, to their credit, hasn't been quite as dominant as Houston, but as close as you could be. So this look, take away the fact that they were an 87 win team who was the sixth seed. This team is playing. Good baseball, great baseball at the perfect time, at the most opportune time possible going into the series against Houston. I see this series getting split. I'll take the Astros to win tonight. I think Justin Verlander gets his first ever World Series win. Tomorrow night, I think Philadelphia responds in game two. I think this thing goes to the distance. And we've had a lot of World Series in recent years go seven games. 26, uh, 2014 and went seven. 2016, 17, 19. Uh, yeah, it went, and then it's gone six games the last two years in 2020 and in 2021. I think this thing goes the distance. I think in terms of the, the managerial matchup, it's going to be fascinating. I'm going to favor my man Dusty Baker in that department. It goes to a game seven. And if the Astros have Verlander, or in my opinion, the more reliable starter in the postseason, Framer Valdez on the mound. I think the Houston Astros win this series, win the World Series over the Philadelphia Phillies in seven games. If you had to ask me to pick an MVP, I will go with... Let me go with the dark horse here. Let me go with the dark horse here. I'm going to say that Kyle Tucker wins the World Series MVP. Uh, Philadelphia is a team that can hit for power, is capable of hitting for power. Guys like Reese Hoskins and and Bryce Harper. Um, So there's going to be a lot of plays in the outfield. And uh, I think Kyle Tucker is going to make some big catches uh, out out in right field. I think he's going to have some huge at-bats. You know, he's not one of the big-name guys like an Alvarez, like an Altuve, or like a Bregman. Uh, but he is, without question, one of those guys that, that you rely on in the postseason. He was he killed my Red Sox last year in the ALCS. So Kyle Tucker, World Series MVP. And best of all, Dusty Baker finally gets a World Series ring as a manager. And even, well, it's, this is, a, no, screw it. It's, it's better than Dusty Baker getting a ring. Philadelphia gets denied a championship. That That is always a win. That is, listen, Philadelphia is my least favorite sports city. I've made no mistake about that whatsoever. Cleveland is is in second. But, no, I I do not root for the city of Philadelphia to feel any joy whatsoever when it comes to their team success. That's why this year has been particularly rough with the Eagles being undefeated, with the Phillies being in the World Series. You know, the 76ers haven't started the way I think they they would. I I think they'll get the ship righted at some point. May have to fire Doc Rivers in order to do that. But, yeah, Philadelphia gets denied a championship. I think it goes the distance. But give me the Houston Astros to win the World Series in seven games. I feel good about that pick. But we've been going all over the place. Started with NFL. Went to back-to-back NBA topics. Just predicted the World Series. Now, that's what I look forward to every single Friday. Week 8 in the NFL begins... Uh, it's actually it's already began last night with the Buccaneers falling to the Ravens. I did pick the Ravens to win this game. Uh, and you've got some very fascinating matchups. As a matter of fact, you only have one game in Week 8 that features two teams with a winning record facing, facing off against each other. Think about that. So you've had a lot of 500. Well, in this case, a lot of teams are sub-500 because some teams have had a bye. Some teams have not. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No you know, San Francisco's three and four, but we think they're excellent. The defending champion Rams are sitting there at 500. We think they should be better than they are. But then you got teams like Seattle, the Jets, and the Giants that are like just been the shock of the league. Then you got teams like Denver, who's been one of the biggest disappointments of the season, without a doubt. And you got the quarterback doing high knees in a, and doing a full workout, uh, you know, over the Atlantic Ocean. That's neither here nor there. I love what Justin Tucker, before I get to my predictions, did you see that video on social media last night with Justin Tucker, the greatest kicker of all time, the GOAT kicker for the Baltimore Ravens? And he was, uh, they were just talking about, you know, you're doing high knees in the plane stuff. And and Ravens fans, Ravens fans call themselves the Ravens flock. And, and Justin Tucker said, Ravens flock, let's fly. Oh gosh, that's amazing. That's great. I don't know why I I, I shouldn't have gotten as big of a kick out of that as, as I did, but I, I couldn't help it. Like with the, we, I mean, we hear let's ride. I mean, Russell said let's ride the other day. It's like, man, this is this is just getting worse. And then you have Justin Tucker, the kicker, the kicker. I'll be at the greatest kicker ever, but a kicker is now trolling you. Ravens flock, let's fly. They need to take that. I don't know if let's ride has been trademarked. If it hasn't. If I'm Justin Tucker, I'm going out and get that thing trademarked. I'm getting Ravens flock, let's fly. It doesn't fall off the tongue uh, or roll off the tongue as well as as Broncos country, let's ride. But it still sounds good. It still sounds good. Uh, And the Ravens have certainly earned the right to say that. The Broncos have not. Or I should say the Broncos quarterback and coach have not. And the Broncos could be without a head coach. Speaking of which, let's go and get the prediction started. Before I discuss any games, let me go and pull up my week seven record. Uh, last week, I finished nine and five, had one of my better weeks predicting games. Uh, I was very, very proud of my Bryce's big bet. I, I picked the Seahawks to beat the Chargers. They did just that. But my overall record right there, 63-45-1. and one. The one tie, of course, being the Colts and the Texans in week one. Uh, but week seven, nine and five, hoping to improve off that. Uh, feeling really good about my picks this week starting with another Sunday morning game in London featuring the Let's Ride Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Two, two and five teams, but certainly a fascinating matchup. By the way, shout out to my man, James Scott from across the pond sports. He's going to get a media pass to be a part of that game uh, in London. Shout out to him and everybody over at the Across the Pond Sports Network. But this game's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. We've got Jacksonville, who in this game, they are favored at minus two and a half to win. I looked at this matchup a lot of different ways. I'm saying, okay, we know how Denver's offense is probably the worst in the NFL. Matter of fact, they are without question when you look at points, yards, red zone efficiency, worst offense in the NFL. Jacksonville's defense, on the other hand, has had its moments. Okay, Look at Jacksonville through the first part of the season. They had their struggles last week against the Giants. They gave up that long drive uh, for the lead. But all in all, 13 points against the Texans. You know they had that. They only gave up 10 against the Chargers. They had, they shut out the Colts. So the defense has had their moments. Still young, still a young football team as a whole. I still believe in Doug Peterson as a head coach and Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback. But you know, I said about the Jaguars, they'd be a six-win team where the majority of their 11 losses would be close. That has been the case. Every single one of their losses have been down to the wire. And so they're coming into this one having struggled in close games. Denver's coming into this game struggling completely in the offensive side of the football. Their defense, though, however, has been outstanding. They've taken the ball away. Uh, that they've, you know, in terms of yards per game, the, the, the Broncos' defense has been uh, once again top five in the NFL. So you're facing a Jaguars team 
that for whatever reason, man, Jacksonville, for their historically a dysfunctional franchise, they always play well in London. You know, it's like Jacksonville always has plays well in London. Last year, even with Urban Meyer, who's out here kicking kickers, okay, Jacksonville won the game in, the, in London last year. This team won three games last year. One of them was in London. They always play well overseas because they always play uh, in London every single year. I'm going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars to win this game at 21 to 13 over the Denver Broncos. Uh, I have I, I said after the Broncos lost the Colts, I'm pretty much done picking Denver for a while. I'm definitely sticking to that. Giving Jacksonville to win this game to get back on track and at least stay afloat in the division and certainly in the wild card picture in the AFC, a loaded AFC. Jaguars win and cover the two and a half point spread, 21 to 13. Now to the afternoon games and a situation that we definitely did not see coming. This is why we love the NFL. You've got the Atlanta Falcons. You've got the Carolina Panthers. Now, in this game, featuring two teams under 500, two teams that nobody had any expectations for whatsoever coming into this season. The winner of this game will be in first place in the NFC South. The Saints aren't what we thought they'd be, and absolutely the Bucs aren't what anybody thought they'd be. So you've got the Falcons who... You know, we, we viewed Atlanta this season as possibly looking to go to Desmond Ritter, their young quarterback they got in-house, or to draft a young quarterback next year in a very loaded quarterback draft. The Panthers were in that same boat as well. I think still are in that same boat. We're, we think that there's a chance, 50-50 chance, the Panthers are tanking. And if they win this game, they're in first place in their division. They just traded Christian McCaffrey to the Niners. They traded Robbie Anderson the Cardinals, there's numerous other trade rumors surrounding their team. They've got a third stringer at quarterback, and if they win this game, they'll be in first place. Sole possession of the NFC South. Atlanta today is in first place, but if they win, they'll you know they'll have sole possession with a four and four record. I looked at this game and I said, okay, Carolina's defense has not been bad this season. Okay, that they, they've done a solid job in the red zone gotten pressure on the quarterback. Uh, they've got a solid secondary. Carolina is a lot like Denver, where the, the issues with them have been offensively. Now, they did score 21 points last week against a Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that is probably a little overrated, but good enough. It's not, it's not a bad defense by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, okay, they, they scored 10 points, though, against the Rams, 15 against the Niners, 16 against the Cardinals. They're, they're not a very good offense. Only three times this season have they broke 20 points. That's, that's not very good. Whereas you got an Atlanta defense that has had its moments as well. An Atlanta offense that has all kinds of young playmakers. Guys like Cordero Patterson and Drake London, who I really like. I think Drake London has a chance to be a multi-time pro bowler. Kyle Pitts, we know that the talent he has at the tight end position hasn't had the season that, that we thought he would have this year coming off of a very good rookie campaign. Uh, Atlanta in this game, by the way, is favored minus four. I do believe that they will cover the spread. I think they'll have a big offensive performance. Give me the Falcons to beat the Panthers 28 to 17. I, I don't I don't know. I, I can't see an avenue where Carolina wins this football game uh, in Atlanta against the Falcons, considering their offensive struggles. I can see the fact that Atlanta's looking to bounce back from a rough offensive performance. A week ago, give me the Falcons to win this game and to be in first place halfway through this season in the NFC South, which, albeit, is, is probably the worst division of football. Moving on to an interconference matchup, you've got the Miami Dolphins taking on the Detroit Lions. Miami is a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. Dolphins are 4-0 with Tua at starter. He 
was was excellent in the first half against Pittsburgh, but had a very bad second half. Four interceptions. Count that. One, two, three. Four interceptions dropped against Pittsburgh. Miami has struggled at times running the football. With the playmakers those guys have against the Detroit Lions defense, that is flat out awful. Tyreek and Waddle, and they've got that other slot receiver, number 14. I'm forgetting his name. Really nice player. Gusecki, who's the who has the worst gritty in the history of the gritty. He's acknowledged this stuff. But the Dolphins' defense is very opportunistic. Takes the ball away. We know Jared Goff is very mistake-prone. Uh, Detroit, again, under Dan Campbell, has won four games in what is it, whatever it is, 2017 plus so 20, 23 games. Detroit's won four football games. I, I do not believe that they will win this one. Give me the Dolphins to win and cover. A lot of people have had this as an upset alert. I do not. Dolphins win this game 31-20 to 20 over the Detroit line. Here's an interesting one. The Arizona Cardinals, the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota coming off of a bye. They are favored minus three and a half. Arizona had an extra three days to prepare for this game. Okay, it's a little Chicago Bears on New England Patriots-esque, right? Chicago had that rough performance on Thursday night, but they have plenty of time to prepare for New England. You know, New England's coming off a big win against Cleveland, and they come in and just run the football down New England's throat. We have a situation where Arizona's coming off with a really good defense performance, two big sixes. Kyler Murray gets DeAndre Hopkins back and makes all the difference in the world for that Cardinals offense. Going against a Minnesota Vikings defense that is bottom six in the NFL in pass yards allowed per game. So this Vikings defense has not been as good as we thought it would be coming into the season. Vikings offense, the other hand, different story. Kirk Cousins has, has had an underrated year as far as I'm concerned. We know he's bad in primetime. Good news for him, this is not a primetime game. Justin Jefferson continues to assert himself as a top five receiver in this league. Dalvin Cook's been excellent, had a, a big game against the Miami Dolphins in the Vikings last game. Kevin O'Connell, to me, is in the running with, with Carroll and Dable and, and Sala for Coach of the Year. He was my preseason pick to win that award. Uh, th this is the Vikings team that is without question more talented than Arizona. This feels like a game Arizona could keep close for a while. But given the fact that Kevin O'Connell, he's drawn a lot of comparisons to a guy he, he actually worked for with the Rams, Sean McVay. Given the fact that McVay is amazing off bye weeks, I can only imagine with a 5-1-1 record at home, Minnesota will be the same. I'm going to take the Vikings to win this game 27-20 to over the Arizona Cardinals. Vikings win 27-20, and they do cover three-and-a-half point spread and beat Arizona uh, on this uh, uh, Sunday afternoon game. What I'm looking at now with this next matchup, this is this is an interesting one. You got the Chicago Bears, you got the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas in this game, big favorite, double-digit favorite, minus 10. Dallas is a little beat up coming in this game. This report just came out a couple hours ago that Ezekiel Elliott is doubtful to play on Sunday afternoon in Jerry World. Micah Parsons is questionable with a shoulder injury. Sam Williams, the rookie from Ole Miss, has looked good. He's also questionable. You got Chicago coming in, riding high. Big win over the New England Patriots on the road against a Belichick-led defense. Rushes for 235 yards. And it's like what I talked about yesterday with the Bears. What they did is they played into Justin Fields' strength, which is what every coach should, should do, especially with young quarterbacks. Okay, we know Justin Fields is not the refined pocket passer you would want him to be, but we do know Duke can run the football. Duke can get out of the pocket. He had that big, long run against Washington uh, a couple Thursday nights ago. He ran for 80-something yards, 82 yards, if I'm not mistaken, against New England. Ran down the throats. 
played with a lead and relied on their running game and the defense from there. Chicago's defense is more than capable. Hey, if you look at some metrics, including passing yards per game, the Bears are a top five defense in the NFL. I mean, it's really been their identity the entire history of their franchise. It's just the offense they haven't really been able to get right. But you're facing a Dallas defense. I think Micah Parsons is probably going to play. But a Dallas defense that is 20th in the NFL against the run. That's why they traded for that interior lineman from the Raiders the other day. This feels like a game that the Cowboys are going to be, the first game this year, they're going to be very reliant on the quarterback to play well, but on the quarterback position, whether it be Cooper Rush or in this case, obviously, with Randy Cota Prescott wearing his hat today, of course, with Randy Cota Prescott coming back into the lineup. Played very well in the second half. He's a little rusty, right? Had a couple of off throws in that first half against Detroit. Second half, got hot, was accurate, had some real zip on the ball. Okay, CeeDee Lamb talked about it, and so did guys like Noah Brown, Michael Gallup. Dak Prescott coming in against a very good Bears defense. This feels like the game that Dak asserts himself. This is a game that Dallas is able to play from in front. I don't think Justin Fields, certainly in year two, and with some of his limitations as a thrower of the football, will be able to recover from. So give me the Dallas Cowboys to win this game. Going into a bye week, 28-16. to 16. I don't feel overly confident about the Cowboys covering the 10-point spread, but I do think that they're able to do just that. They win this game 28 to 16, at least stay afloat in that NFC race. It is now time for Bryson's Bleak Bet. It's the one game every week that I have absolutely no confidence in in terms of my prediction. We all have those every single week with Bryson's Bleak Bet. Uh, we, we have that one game every week where, like, ah, I don't, it feels like a coin flip to me. This may be not necessarily a coin flip, but it's one I, I went back and forth on. You got the Las Vegas Raiders going into New Orleans to take on the Saints. Vegas is favored minus one and a half. Now, you know about the Saints. Andy Dalton, it appears, has kind of sort of taken taken over the, the, the starting quarterback job in place of Jameis Winston, who's now reportedly healthy. Head coach Dennis Allen is going to reportedly roll with Andy Dalton until he, I guess, until the wheels fall off. Something about the Saints offense. I heard Alvin Kamara talk about it the other day, talking about we need to get our mojo back. Saints offense really hasn't been as much of an issue as, as much as it's been quarterback play. Because you got Alvin Kamara back into the lineup. You've got guys like Chris Olave, Michael Thomas. Okay, that you got playmakers all over the field. Offensive line is serviceable. It's a defense that struggled a little bit. Okay, they had that rough game last week against the Cardinals. And so they get a, a few extra days to prepare against a Vegas Raiders team coming off a big win against the Houston Texans. Think about Vegas this year. They've been really bad. Really bad close game. You look at the Tennessee game, you look at the Kansas City game, uh, week two where they flat out gagged against the Arizona Cardinals. Vegas has really struggled in close games. Listen, I know the Superdome is not what it was in terms of you go in there and you just feel that stadium just vibrating. It's so loud, but it is still a tough place to play. Make no mistake about it. You got Vegas coming in. This is a West Coast team coming to the East Coast to take on New Orleans. I don't feel confident in it, but I did get Bryson's big bet correct last week with Seattle going over the Chargers, so I should have at least a little bit of uh, of, of uh, courage in my conviction, if you will. I'm going to take the Saints to get the upset win. Give me the Saints to beat the Raiders 29-24. to I, I think their defense is able to take the ball away a couple of times, a forced fumble on Josh Jacobs, an interception towards the end on Derek Carr. And the Saints at least stay afloat 
in that NFC South and in the wild card in the NFC as a whole. I think they beat the Raiders. I was wrong on the Raiders this year without a question, although I was not. I have not been surprised by their, their ineptitude on the defensive side of the football. Give me the Saints. Bryce's bleak bet. Saints win this game 29-24 to over the Las Vegas Raiders. Moving on to a very interesting AFC East matchup. Got the New England Patriots taking on the New York Jets. Patriots on the road. Despite getting run all over, they're favored minus two and a half. I will say this. If the Jets had Elijah Vera Tucker healthy, if they certainly if they had Brees Hall healthy, I would absolutely roll with the Jets. I might even consider it my if I were a betting man game. I really would. But I'm, when I'm looking at this one, I'm sitting here looking at this matchup, okay? I say, okay. The Jets in this winning streak this season. And even, even, even when, when Joe Flacco was in the lineup, in their wins, how many of those wins would we give a good portion of the credit to the quarterback? Week two, probably, where they had that miracle win against Cleveland, Joe Flacco played very well, especially in the fourth quarter. If you look at the Jets in the first part of the season, Zach Wilson's not exactly blowing anybody away. Okay, throw for five touchdowns, three picks. Okay, he's 30th in pass yards, he's 26th in touchdown passes, uh, and he is uh, 31st in QBR with exactly a 31 QBR. That is 0 to 100. Zach Wilson has not played particularly well. It wasn't that high on Zach Wilson coming out of the draft. I feel like he was too mistake prone. He makes the he makes the, the hard throws look easy, and the easy throws look hard. Kind of one of those prospects, a little bit of a gunslinger. Um, this feels like a great opportunity for Bill Belichick to come in and say, all right, you just got to run down their throat. That is the strength of the New York Jets. And they just lost two of their most key components in term, when it comes to running the football. We are going to make Zach Wilson beat us. And Belichick, in his career, has eaten young quarterbacks alive. I have a feeling that that's going to happen once again. I've not picked the Patriots much this season, but I will on Sunday. I mean, the Patriots, with, with everybody's favorite uh, backup quarterback, that's what he is, Matt Jones, 23 to 16 over the New York Jets. By the way, not just as, not only has Belichick really owned the young quarterbacks, he's also kind of owned the team that he really should have been coaching back in the year 2000, the New York Jets. Give me the New England Patriots to win this game 23 to 16 over the New York Jets. We've got a, a, an interstate matchup. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Battle of Pennsylvania. I don't know if it's got another, another nickname aside from that, but I'm going to stick with that. Philadelphia in this game is favored at minus 11, and I almost made this if I were a bet in that game. I usually don't, don't jump on spreads, the, these big spreads, these double-digit spreads. I am this week, without a question, because Philadelphia is number one in the NFL in takeaways. What do we know about Kenny Pickett? He's been really mistake-prone. By the way, Philadelphia gets to the quarterback. He, uh, Steelers do not protect the quarterback very well at all. They have a bad offensive line. They struggle to run the football. Okay, really, again, the, the Steelers' strength offensively is their wide receiving unit with the likes of Claypool and Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. And they got Pat Fryermuth the tight end. But when the quarterback, in this case, Kenny Pickett, is on his butt the whole game, hard to get him the football. I think this, this game's going to get out of hand quick. By the way, Philadelphia's coming off of a bye week. They're at home. Hey, the Phillies in the World Series. There's just a good feel around the city of Philadelphia. I'm going to take the Eagles to win this game convincingly. 38-16 to 16 over the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in this battle of Pennsylvania that happens once every four years, although with the 17-game schedule, it could happen a couple years from now, but uh, we'll, we'll see whether or not that happens. Although they did play a couple years ago 
I'm not mistaken. Give me the Eagles, though, to beat the Steelers 38-16. to I think this game uh, gets, uh, gets out of hand quickly. Uh, it is now time for my favorite segment every single week. It is now time for... If I were a bet, ma'am, I'm looking at this AFC South matchup between the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. Tennessee in this game is favored minus two and a half. Now, what do we know about when Tennessee comes into Houston? We know that Derrick Henry tends to run wild on Houston Texans. If I'm not mistaken, in 2020 and in 2019, both of those games, he ran for about 200 yards. Now, this is a new and improved Houston, Texas defense. They have been better than they have been in years past, where they were just a complete liability of this football team. But I think due to the limitations that the Texans have offensively with Davis Mills, the fact that it looks like they're shipping uh, Brandon Cooks at some point before the trade deadline, this team is obviously uh, in the discussion to be in, you know, to be in position to get one of these young quarterbacks in the draft. They're going to have a high pick without a question. Uh, you know, good news is they got a lot of draft picks from Cleveland for Deshaun Watson. So there's at least some hope for the Houston Texans. But Tennessee quietly. I think it's because they had that heartbreaking loss in Week One, and then they just got the doors blown off in Week Two against the Bills. Tennessee quietly under the radar. They're on a four-game winning streak. If they win this game, they got a chance to once again be a high seed in the playoffs. And in an AFC South where there's nothing but dysfunction. Tennessee has been the very definition of functional. So I have a feeling Derrick Henry is starting to really sort of pick up some steam now, starting to look like the Derrick Henry of old. I think Tennessee wins this game easily. If I were a betting man, take the Tennessee Titans, minus two and a half. They win this game 28-17 to 17 over their division rival, Houston Texans. I don't think it's particularly close. I think Houston makes it interesting late, uh, makes it a little bit stressful on the people who are betting men or women. Uh, but if I were a betting man, I'm taking it the Tennessee Titans to cover a two and a half point spread. It is now time for my upset of the week. Give me the Washington Commanders to go into Indianapolis and beat the Colts 26-24, to and here is why. We all know about the Colts quarterback change. Matt Ryan, who is injured this week, he's not even going to get a dress, but it appears that the Colts have moved on from the Matt Ryan experience. They're now going to go with the rookie, Sam Ellinger, who showed promise in the preseason. I, kind of, I really liked him in college at Texas, uh, and, and I like him as a prospect. He's got clear limitations. That's why he wasn't one of the highly touted quarterbacks coming out of Texas, but certainly without question, he's, he's got he's, he's got the talent to be in the NFL. Uh, again, Colts are favored minus three. I don't get it. I really don't get it. The Colts offense has been up and down. They've been absolute roller coaster. And in most cases, they've dropped. They've, they've gone down that 100-foot drop on those big six-flag roller coasters. That's 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 the issue for the Colts. Shaq Leonard, it looks like, is going to be back this week, which is big for them. But you've got Washington coming in, having won two straight games against the Bears and against the Pack. Taylor Heineke is, is back in the lineup. I'm going to tell you right now, Carson Wentz is not getting that starting job back. Ron Rivera is not high on him, the head coach. It doesn't look like, once again, his teammates are high on him which was the case in Philly and in Indianapolis. That's not even there. So we won't get the Carson Wentz revenge game against the Colts. I don't know if anybody's necessarily looking forward to that except for Carson Wentz, but that's, that's you know, another, another subject for another day. But you see the body language of these commanders. Washington's not a playoff team, but you see sort of the, the attitude, the, the feel. Again, the body language of his teammates, guys like Terry McLaurin and company, they just seem excited. They seem uh, reinvigorated. 
that Taylor Heineke is now the quarterback, which he was last year, and he was in that playoff game when they barely lost to the eventual champion, Buccaneers. Washington's playing better offensively. Heineke played very well in the fourth quarter against Green Bay. Terry McLaurin and him have a really good connection, much better than Wentz and McLaurin did. Uh, yeah, this is a Colts team that seems to be reeling a little bit right now. Feels like some people could get fired by season's end. Uh, a lot of questions surrounding Indianapolis and, and a Washington team that's just playing solid football the last couple of weeks, especially on the defensive side of the ball against the likes of, of the, the Bears and the Packers. I'm going to take Washington again in my upset of the week to beat the Colts in a close one, 26-24. Although I do think Sam Ellinger has his moments uh, has his moments in this game, but I'm, like I said, I'm taking Washington to win this one, 26-24. America's game of the week on Fox, as they call it. You've got a rematch of the NFC Championship game. The San Francisco 49ers taking on the Los Angeles Rams. San Francisco on the road, despite being 3-4 and four at the champs are favored minus a point and a half. Did we think that coming into the season that these two teams would have the records they would? I sure didn't. I did not see the Rams. I, I picked, y'all, y'all know I picked the Rams to get to the Super Bowl. But they're sitting there at 500. Their offensive line has struggled. Matt Stafford has struggled badly through the first uh, few games this season. Eight, was it eight picks in six games, I think it was? Let me make sure I got that stat right, because it's, I mean, it is, it is horrible what Matt Stafford has done in terms of turning the football over. Yeah, eight picks in six games with only six touchdown passes. And in terms of, in terms of QBR, he's 21st. So... I had bought in, in, into the Matt Stafford hype. I was never a big Matt Stafford fan in Detroit, but he won me over with how clutch he was in the playoffs against the Bucks, Niners, and Bengals in the, in the playoff run for, for Los Angeles. I don't know what's going on with Matthew Stafford right now, but the turnovers have gotten worse than it was even when he was a Lion. As I say, you could take the quarterback out of Detroit, but you can't take the Detroit out of the quarterback. That seems to be rearing, rearing, rearing its ugly head once again. Cooper Cup has played well, not, not putting up historic numbers like he was last season, but Cooper Cup has played well. Cam Akers looks like has been sent home by the Rams, looks like he's played his last game as a Ram. But this Rams defense as a whole has looked better over the last few weeks. Aaron Donald's looking like Aaron Donald, who I believe is the best player in the NFL. Uh, Jalen Ramsey got off to a rough start to start the season, sort of found his footing a little bit. So, And we know about Sean McVay, and this is the case with all the great coaches, the Andy Reeds, the Shanahans, coming off of a bye. Well-prepared, ready to go. They've heard a lot. The Rams have sort of uh, fallen under the radar once again. This is an opportunity for them to come out and for the whole country. This is going to be a road game for them because we know mo- most home games for both the Rams and certainly for the Chargers at SoFi Stadium, it feels like the other team's fan base sort of like raids the place. Expect that to be the case again with 49er Nation coming in and being a factor. But I still believe, despite the fact that Kyle Shanahan has had Sean McVay's number, since the two of them were hired by their respective destinations. I'm going to take the Los Angeles Rams to beat the San Francisco 49ers 27-23. to 23. Uh, So take take the Rams and the points is what I would do. Also, look at the, the injury report for uh, for the Niners. Evo Samuel's out. Eric Armstead's out. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk, who's huge for their offense, is out. My man Jawan Jennings is questionable. There's a lot of guys beat up. I have a feeling that, that Sean McVay is going to make Jared Goff beat him, just like... Um, Andy Reid did last week with the Chiefs, and Jer- not Jared Goff. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, we know, is, is not capable of doing that uh, consistently. Moving on now to our uh, second-to-last game, the one game this week featuring two teams with a winning record. It's amazing, and it's two teams we would have never expected coming into the season. 
featuring two coaches who we consider to be the front runners for Coach of the Year. The 6-1 New York Giants taking on the 4-3 Seattle Seahawks. Seattle in this game is favored by a field goal. And I'm looking at this. Both teams, I have a feeling that this could be a little bit of a fireworks show, but not in the way you can expect. We, we, you know, we talk about games that are scoring in the 30s. We're thinking about great quarterback play. Both teams run the football very well. Giants do, Seahawks do, and both teams equally are bad against the run. So expect a, a sort of, if you got fantasy, uh, if, if you've got Saquon Barkley in fantasy football, man, expect a big night from him. If you've got guys like Kenneth Walker for the Seattle Seahawks, expect a big night from him as well. We know Geno Smith today is probably the favorite to win comeback player of the year. As, as efficient he's, as he's played, the deep ball's working with guys like Lockett, Metcalf. Uh, we we got to see about Metcalf's health where he's at. But look at the Seahawks offense. Looking at this Giants offense, led not by Daniel Jones, but by Saquon Barkley. This feels like a fireworks show. I, I would not be shocked if both teams run for around 200 yards. I'm serious. I think this game's actually going to go to overtime. I don't usually predict overtime. This game's going to overtime. And my man, the comeback play of the year, Geno Smith, is going to win the game-winning drive for a touchdown, and the Seahawks are going to win this game 36-30 over the New York Giants and go to 5-3, and three, retaining first place in that loaded NFC West list. It's still loaded. They still got great quarterback play and great coaching. Give me the Seahawks to beat the Giants 36-30. I know, listen, I know Giants fans are probably mad at me. I, I don't know if I picked their team more than once this season. I, I don't know. I don't know. I like what Seattle's doing. I like what Pete Carroll's doing with the run game. And by the way, something about Seattle, too. They got, got off to that rough start defensively. They have been tremendous on the defensive side of the football. But, and again, we can't be all that surprised because Pete Carroll's a defensive coach, after all. Last game of the week. Whew, this may lead my show off on Monday because of the aftermath of it. And... Whatever a certain somebody says in the aftermath of it. It's the Green Bay Packers taking on the Buffalo Bills on Sunday Night Football. Bills are big favorite, favored by 11. We got a three double digit favorite this week Eagles, Cowboys, Bills. Uh, I think only two of those teams are Super Bowl contenders. Sorry, Dallas. But Buffalo, again, we got another team coming off a bye. Another team coming off of a bye after a big road win. You know, Buffalo beats Kansas City at Arrowhead. Josh Allen led that big game when he drive, hurdled a dude, for crying out loud, on that last drive. But you got Sean McDermott, who's proven himself since he arrived at Buffalo, even pre-Josh Allen, to be a tremendous head coach. This Bills defense was a little bit of a liability last year since the addition of Bob Miller. He, he has been the key that has unlocked one of the better defenses in the National Football League. Offensively, we know what Josh Allen's capable of. He is either one or two in regards to where we rank quarterbacks, either him or Mahomes. I don't even think it's close. The arm talent, the the mobility, accuracy, the leadership. He's got everything possible you want in a franchise quarterback. Stephon Diggs, Dave Davis, has, has pr they've proven themselves to be one of the better wide receiving tandems in the National Football League. You have all these components. You have the fact that we got uh, um, Devin Singletary, that offensive line that is, has run the football more effectively in recent weeks. Again, that Packers team coming in, three straight losses, not playing well. Aaron Rodgers, despite what he'll try to manipulate you into believing, is not playing well. You've got the fact that they're not committing to the run with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. you got the fact that an already bad receiving core is now going to be missing Alan Lazard this week. 
a Packers defense that has not been good as good as we thought it would be coming into this year, and a head coach, Matt LaFleur, who is one of the worst, if not the worst coach in the NFL when it comes to in-game adjustments. The Packers are the third worst team in the NFL in second half scoring. Against the Buffalo team that's going to be playing from ahead, well, this will get ugly quickly. Give me the Bills to cover the spread. 35 to 14 over the Green Bay Packers. Sorry, I got that time wrong. It says 405. The game's going to be kicking off at 820. The game's going to be kicking off at 820 uh, between the Bills and the Packers. This one's going to be over like that. It, it's Bills coming off a bye. Packers playing bad football on the road in one of the more hostile environments in the NFL. Uh, th- this is going to be a long day for the Green Bay Packers. And this, I don't even think there's a question about it. So there you go. That's my week eight NFL picks. Again, we got the Monday night game featuring the Bengals and the Browns on Monday, which I'll predict on that uh, on that show on uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitter, as always. And with that, that is all the time we have for today's show. Had a lot to discuss in all three of the major American sports. This is why I love October. This is why I love October. And by the way, it is worth mentioning, happy fourth anniversary to my Boston Red Sox, because four years ago on this day in Dodger Stadium, my Red Sox won the World Series in five games against the Dodgers. It was a great memory of mine. Uh, I, I was obviously not in L.A. It was, it was, I was at my house watching the game, but it was just a phenomenal series. Uh, Steve Pierce, I mean, my fellow Red Sox fans, you remember that name? Steve Pierce won the MVP. Just uh, great, great memory. Great memory as a Red Sox fan. But I will say this, though, uh, th- this is... October, which is coming to an end soon. We got Halloween coming up on Monday. October is, as I always say about this month, is the easiest month to do shows. The shows are usually longer because there's more to talk about, but it is for somebody that talks about sports on a daily basis, or in this or the case of carving it up three times a week, but obviously on social media and just my personal life, obviously on a daily basis, that it it is like it is like Christmas. Christmas Day. Wake up, you open the presents, and it's October is when you wake up on Christmas. You had you, you wrote down something on your wish list, and it's exactly what you wanted, and it's what you get. You got baseball playoffs, NBA starting, college football, and the NFL are midseason. By the way, I think it'd be, I'd be remiss to say that my Tennessee Falls will beat the Kentucky Wildcats tomorrow night in Knoxville in Neyland Stadium. Uh, that it's it's gonna be you know it's funny. This is probably going to be the second best quarterback matchup of the college football season because you have uh, to me first is is Bryce Young versus Hendon Hooker, but second is Hendon Hooker versus Will Levis. Uh, to me, it's you know Hooker, Levis, Stroud, Young. Those are the four quarterbacks, first four quarterbacks taken in the 2023 NFL draft. It'll be exciting to see. Hopefully, I can do a draft show that day. But my Vols, if you haven't seen what the Vols uniforms look like, excuse me, for Saturday night, Google it. As, as, as Shaq says, Google me, Chuck. Google that, what my Vols are wearing. It's, it's perfect for Halloween. It's all black uniforms with the orange numbers, the, the orange number, and then the orange um, power T on the helmets. Oh, my gosh, those uniforms are so clean. You got to check those out. It's going to be the primetime game on ESPN. Uh, my Vols are favored minus 12. Yeah, I think we cover that. We cover that. Let, let's let's give it let's give it forty five to thirty one. Kentucky's got their offensive line right in the last few weeks. 
Will Levis is still an excellent quarterback. I think I personally think Hendon Hooker is the better prospect. Some of that's due to age, but it is what it is. He's the better prospect. Moves better in the pocket. He's certainly more mobile than Will Levis is. Arm, I'll give Levis the advantage there, but accuracy, I'll give that to Hooker. So if you want a great quarterback matchup, uh, that that is the game to watch. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, that That's definitely going to be keeping my eye on that one, but also going to get to see Steph Curry for the first time tomorrow night in Charlotte. So looking forward to that. Hopefully get some, some videos uploaded to social media uh, and on other platforms. So like I said, after all that blabbering, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern and on three p- at 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also, be sure to like, share, comment, and most importantly, take two seconds out of your 24-hour day and hit that big red subscribe button. See? Take, take two seconds. That's how long it takes. Just hit that big red subscribe button and subscribe to the Grid Network, the network that I am now a part of. Grid, that is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Network, uh, featuring myself, Featuring the All Even Podcast, Barry Grant Jr., Clutch Sports Talk with Ryan Flowers, Rocket Fuel Podcast with with Alfred Parsar Jr., the Chaotic Sports Podcast with uh, Patrick Brown. Got to check that stuff out. Amazing content creators on there. Uh, That is also the Grid Network is where you can find all the Carving It Up podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, everywhere, all over the place all over the place where you can check out Carving It Up Live, the podcast episodes uh, on the Grid Podcast Network. So be sure to to check that stuff out. Got a loaded weekend in sports that begins in about 30 minutes or so with the World Series. So I'm going to go and end the show, get upstairs to watch the game. Uh, Looking forward to this World Series. I got Astros in seven and Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker, of all people, will be the World Series MVP. So have a great weekend, everybody. Continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. He's out. And yes, Hooker is a better prospect than Levis. You know that. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.